It's great to be together today, and uh, I just wanted to extend my personal warm welcome to you. I think we're going to have a great morning. I'm convinced that God isn't done with us yet. And uh, just very quickly, I've not had the opportunity of introducing myself before. There's a picture here of my family, and uh, so this is uh, my my amazing family. I've got um, two children as it stands, James, who is four, Lexi, who is two, and uh, then you'll notice the observant amongst you that Philippa is fairly heavily pregnant right now. And so uh, we are now 36 weeks pregnant, which means that sometime in the next month or so, there'll be a third baby Wilson bouncing around, which is really exciting. And uh, I just wanted to say thank you so much for those people who have uh, kind of expressed concern and uh, thought about us and how we're coping with pregnancy at this late stage. And just to say that the, the acid reflux I'm keeping on top of and my back's feeling pretty good. And you'll be pleased to know I've got no problem at all rolling over in bed. So this is, this is pretty good. Uh, obviously, if you want to pray for Philippa, you'll be most welcome to. But... Um, Things are good, and uh, today you've joined us on a day when we're partway through a series looking at some of the beautiful characteristics of God. We've called it incomparable because of the fact that his very nature, who he is, is actually so otherworldly but so beautiful for us to explore. And today we're going to be looking at a short passage uh, from uh, the book of John. And uh, it's in John chapter 8. And so if you want to bounce there, you're really welcome to. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this passage through the lens of who is God like, what is he like, and let's talk about the grace of God. Okay, so the verses will uh, appear on the screen behind me. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along with me. It goes like this. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down. And wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up. And said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. Father, we recognize your presence just here with us. Father, we recognize there's power in this story, power in your word. And we just pray for your grace on each one of us just now. Father, we ask you that each one of us, Lord, would, would have open hearts to hear you. That we'd be listening to your provocation and your guidance and stirred by the things that you want to reveal to us today. May we know and fall in love again with your grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, listen. I heard uh, the story of a young girl who was sat at a table with coloring pens in front of her, and she was drawing a picture. So mum goes up to a young girl and, uh, and says, hey, sweetheart, what is it that you're drawing? 
She turns with a smile and says, I'm drawing a picture of God. To which mom replies, oh, you, you can't do that, dear. No one knows what God's like. So the girl, again, beaming smile with great boldness, said, ah, well, you will when I've finished. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I have a great privilege of doing in this church is actually uh, giving people from time to time their very first Bible to either new Christians or even not yet believers yet. And actually, through the generosity of the people in this community, we get the opportunity of giving people their first Bible. And, you know, their faces light up at the prospect of kind of wrestling with what does God's word actually say. And one of the things that I'll always encourage them to do, as opposed to even just kind of dipping in anywhere or even starting from the beginning, is actually to start in the Gospels, the stories that were written specifically about Jesus' life. My advice to them is go into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and look for Jesus. See what he's like. Look at what he says. And the reason I do that is because in Colossians it says this. It says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now, in other words, if you want to know if you like the best earthly representation of what he was like, we can look at the life of Jesus. Look at his son. And you know, honestly, no words today that I can share with you will quite do him justice. Because he is the most astounding, radical, beautiful, magnificent one who has ever walked the, his feet on this earth. And we want to be captivated by him. And I think not more so than in this remarkable story. And what it does is it gives us a picture of what God is like. Now, as I've looked at the passage over these last few weeks, I've been really provoked by my response to different characters that you see in the story. Because obviously you've got the Pharisees, right? Now these, if you like, are often the bad guys that people don't like and don't want to be like and will criticize an awful lot. They're the religious people who are trying to trap Jesus in this instance. But what they're doing is they're dragging out this lady into a very visual, very public place. Now, the challenge is that before berating them a little bit, we probably need to check our own hearts. Because I, I was thinking this week about the fact that uh, I, I'm incredibly grateful for the fact that I've got these two kids, right? And one of the things that I think is an incredible blessing is when I head off to the supermarket and we get those wonderful bases, which are the mother and toddler spots, right? And so you park up in that space and you've got this wonderful amount of extra room either side. And you know, when you've got the, the, the kids bouncing all over the place and you've got the trolley alongside you full of all the shopping, the fact that you can swing your car door out beautifully and you can plug them in and it's just, it's a grace gift. Am I right, parents? Yes. Now, one of my biggest frustrations is when those bays are full, especially with people who don't have children. So there are occasions when you're there and you're, you're driving and you realize you've got the children and then suddenly the, the, the base of thought, I, I saw, just being honest with you, I saw someone recently who uh, drove into one of those bays. They had no kids in the car. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not proud of this, but I, I wound the window down and I, I said, excuse me, excuse me, do you, do you realize that these, these, uh, these spaces here are supposed to be for parents who have their children with them? She, she looked at me and she said, I'm going in to collect my kids. <laughs> so I said, carry on. <laughs> now, 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 the thing is, there are, there are also times when I actually go shopping from time to time without the children, okay? And, and there are occasions like that when I know that I've only got to pop into the shop to maybe get a couple of bits and... And maybe it's raining, and, uh, and, and maybe I realize I don't really want to park the other side of the car park. And so I'll drive in and think to myself, 
why wouldn't I use one of those beautiful spaces which is right next to the supermarket? And then, you know, why, why wouldn't you? And the realization is that it kind of catches me thinking, do you know what? When it's convenient for me, and when I, I want to kind of demand justice of other people, it's very easy, isn't it, for us to be like, actually, they've done this and they've done that, without really exposing in our hearts the fact that, are we really crying out for the justice that probably we deserve? Now, it's a very trivial example, actually, but I think it's true of many things. This lady, quite literally, was caught in adultery. Now, I don't know where the guy was, but the assumption is there were two people there. But she was dragged out. She was dragged out. And by law at that time, she should have been put to death. Now, put yourself in her shoes for a moment. Public place. Lots of people stood watching you. Your sin, your junk, your biggest, worst day, if you like, being exposed to the masses. How do you feel? Filled with regret, embarrassed, ashamed, vulnerable. You see, there's these people here who are, who are literally picking up rocks. You're scared. You're shaking. How do you feel about your, the mess of your life being exposed to others and being exposed to God? Now, I know that I've done things wrong in my life freely admit that I've, I've made a mess of things. Not many things that I'm not proud of. But what we can see in this story is how Jesus responds, which is a reflection of how God is and responds. In verse 6, first thing he does is it says, he kneels. Now don't miss this, actually, because it's incredibly important. He makes a decision to lower himself to bow down, to be humble. Instead of taking a posture over this lady, he wants to be low and beneath her. You know, Jesus came from heavenly heights, didn't he? Took on the form of a human, walked amongst us. He humbled himself. So as he bows down low beneath her, he begins to write with his fingers. Now, People argue about, you know, hey, what did he say? You know, what, what did he write? And there are some suggestions. So some people would think, hey, maybe he just started writing out different types of sin, different types of where we've rebelled against God. Some people think that he began to write out the Ten Commandments. Truth is, we don't know. What we do know is that what he wrote began to reveal in people's hearts and, and expose, actually, the fact that every single one of us has done wrong. And then he speaks. He kneels, he writes, he speaks and says, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And we as Christians know that in Romans 3.23, it says, for all have sinned. Every single one of us. And we've fallen short of the glory of God. Now there's this incredible realization amongst the whole of the crowd there as they begin to dissipate that Jesus, God himself, he does not treat us like our sins deserve. Listen to what it says in Psalm 103. It says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. 
And as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. It's an astonishing picture of God's mercy, of his love, of his compassion. And it's completely undeserved and it's completely outrageous. You see, this grace is unmerited favor. It's the kindness from God that we don't deserve. None of us do. You can't ever do anything to earn it, but it's God's favor to you. Now, why did he do that? I believe that a characteristic of God is that he created you and I. He created us with value. But society, our culture, if you like, pretends that that's not the case. We were either a a huge accident or, or even some would believe they were even a mistake. Some would say it kind of started with these kind of two cells, which somehow formed into four cells, which somehow formed into kind of eight cells. And then there was this tadpole that kind of suddenly sprung legs and was a frog. And then the the frog became a bunny, and the the bunny became a dog, and the dog climbed a tree and turned into a monkey. And then the monkey got down, went to Tesco's, bought a rager, has a shave, and there we were, right? (laughs) It's kind of, you know, from goo to you via the zoo. I think that's why I've heard it before. I don't think we were like that. Partly because my Bible says that I was fearfully and wonderfully made. And I believe that God doesn't make a mistake. The fact that he knit you together in your mother's womb. Each and every one of you, hear me. You are unique, custom designed by the hand of God. And we can all agree, I think, that the value of something comes from what people are willing to pay for something, right? What people are prepared to pay. So there's a, a picture coming up on the screen, which is called the card players, okay? Now, I'm, I'll be honest with you, I'm not a big uh, kind of fan of art in the grand schemes. I can't appreciate it in the full way. But this picture is, uh, has been the, the valued as, or, or purchased as the highest, highest price of any other piece of art in history. And, wait for it, it sold for $250 million. <laughs> Now, I could talk about that a little bit more, but I needed to show you number six, the sixth um, kind of highest price that someone had ever paid, because it looks like this. <laughs> now, now, try to contain your excitement here. This thing, this thing, by the way, sold for $186 million. Lexi could do that. <laughs> no, I shouldn't be rude. But it surprises me that someone's willing to pay that sort of money for something like this, Right? Now, all right, take another analogy. In football, okay, last year the world record was set for what someone was, a team was willing to pay for a footballer. So Paul Pogba joined Manchester United for £89.3 million to play football for them. He, uh, he receives £210,000 a week, um, which is approximately £28.8 million a year. And uh, in addition to that, that's excluding any bonuses, which is probably a further 60-odd thousand pounds per week. Now, I'm not knocking football for a minute, but just think about that and answer the question, do you think that Manchester United think he is valuable? Yes, is the answer to that. (laughs) Of course they do. Of course they do. Now, why do I say that? You see, Jesus gave his life on the cross for you and I. The Son of God, perfect, spotless, righteous in every single way, was willing to pay that price for you and I. And what that means is that we can have intrinsic value to him. In Christ, I am valuable because the value of my life is not determined by the mess I've made, but by the price that Jesus paid. 
Now, let's make it personal for a moment because sometimes, honestly, I don't always feel that. I don't always feel forgiven. Sometimes, even as a, as a, as a church leader, there's moments that little things can kind of creep in and get in my mind. And I think partly, I think the reason is that, that I see all of my junk. I, I, I still have the thoughts and, and, and still know the feelings and where I've been and where I'm going and what I'm doing. And that can be a hard place to be. So I've got to choose to realize that I am completely forgiven. Okay? Choose to realize that the scripture is true. That the, celebrate the cross and the fact that it began a finished work. That the tomb is empty. That there really is a God who knew every single stupid thing that I was ever going to do and chose to forgive me anyway. And the thing is, there is this, the Bible talks about the enemy that we have as being the accuser, okay? In fact, it even says day and night he accuses us. That's a lot, every, every day, every night. It's almost like rabbiting away. You might even have those kind of voices to say, hey, you know, Steve, he, he's talking to everyone else, he's not talking to you. He lies. He will try and distract you and point to things in your life which are not forgiven or are not redeemable. And it's just not true. I was going through a season like this very early on in my Christian walk when I realized that I had to come clean with some Christian friends to work out what was my response going to be to some of these accusations. And I realized that, see, I lived right until my mid-20s, at 24 years of age, as a non-Christian, you know, drinking a lot, making some stupid mistakes, and to be honest, bouncing from relationship to relationship to relationship, trying to satisfy a hunger inside of me for intimacy, and realizing, actually, I made all sorts of mistakes on that journey. All the time, I've got these nagging lies to say, if they really knew what you'd done, if they really knew where you'd been, what you'd seen, what you'd thought about, what you got up to on those occasions when no one else was looking apart from those people you were with. But I needed to make a decision. And so I remember a kind of night where I decided to get together with two of my good friends at the time. One was called Rory, one was called Jim. And um, I wrote out a letter. It was literally the darkest parts of my heart the worst things that I'd ever done. Like everything that would come up there, I'm like, I'm getting this stuff out. I can't not. Now I realized that I needed to write it down because I didn't have the bottle to share it if I didn't. Every unpleasant thought, the, the, the kind of darkest behavior is the thing that I was the most ashamed of. And I sat down with these guys in a lounge one night and, and I just wept as I, as I tried to read these things out, thinking how are they going to treat me? What's it going to be like? And then... Once I'd finished, I'm kind of crumbling in a pile, and Rory came to me, picked up the letters, page after page after page, and he took it over to his fireplace, and he lit a match, and let the whole thing burn, and just died in that place. Now, the freedom that I got from walking in the light, see, that's what the Bible tells us to do. It says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we'll have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' son purifies us from all sin to purify us because he's good this is who God is he wants to commit to you and demonstrate to you his love and his faithfulness to free you from everything that would accuse see in this moment Jesus just like smashes like he takes a hammer to performance this lady who was caught in adultery you know she's got a whacking great stamp of F on her markings right but we don't have to perform to have his acceptance now, we have this issue, I think, sometimes, I don't know whether it's just a Western culture thing, certainly I've lived with it for a lot of my life, that we compare ourselves to other people. Now, imagine for a minute, so my son, he's, he's James, he, he started playing football on a Saturday morning, and he's brilliant, I go there and I get to kind of cheer him on, 
But I'll be totally honest with you. This is, this is he and I that we you know, go for a kickabout sometimes. I can own him, right? I am such a bigger, better, stronger, more athletic person playing football than he could, he could be right now. So you know, I've, I've, got, I've got some skills, to be honest with you. And, 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 and you know, I've, I've played for years, all right? And, uh, you know, I've got all this experience. I know football knowledge inside and out. He's not getting close to that thing. If he and I go head to head, not having it for a minute. Now, I could feel really good about myself, okay? Or I could realize that I could compare myself to this guy, okay? Now, this is... <laughs> things might look a little bit different if Cristiano Ronaldo and I go head to head because he's probably a little bit fitter than I am, all right? He might have a little bit more experience, and, uh, you know, he, he's probably slightly faster and stronger and more astute with a football at his feet. Just, you know. The reality is this guy has won the best player in the world award four times. You know, he's presently the European champion, the La Liga champion, as well as the Champions League champion. This guy is a phenomenal specimen. The question is, where are we comparing ourselves and why? Because actually the standard isn't James, nor is it Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo. The standard is Jesus. And actually, it's him, in him that I want to be found, not in comparison to anybody else across this room or anywhere else. Now, I, uh, as, as a kid, used to go to a place called Smiling Sam's that was in Nottingham, and it was basically this huge arcade, okay? And you used to go there, and you put your money in slot machines, and, and you know, you had to have a fund doing a whole range of different things. But this was one of those arcades, I don't know whether you remember there, but instead of giving you a prize or anything, it gives you a ticket. You seen this before? And if you do really well, you get more tickets out. So there was one particular game that I was very good at, which was the basketball game, okay? So you have a certain amount of minutes where you're throwing the balls in as fast as you can, and then these tickets just stream out. And I remember the moment when I'm, like, overwhelmed by these things, okay? I'm like, man, I'm going to get to the desk to go and get my gift, and they are actually going to give me a real-life helicopter. You know, he's kind of thinking, like, this is going to be amazing. And so you kind of wander up, and then, and then the guy at the counter, he's, like, counting the tickets, and I'm getting all excited, and he's like, ah, you have enough for a bouncy ball. <laughs> I'm sorry, what, what just happened? Now, the reason I say that is this. Our righteous acts can feel a little bit like that. You know? I read the Bible today. There's a ticket right there. You know, I, I, I got up early to pray. Three tickets. Thank you very much. You know, I'm reading the ESV version of the Bible. Take, take a couple of extra tickets there. Now, the thing is, all of these tickets might seem like we're accruing this, but, but you know what? That they're actually of very little value outside of God's intrinsic value that he's put on you because he loves you. We need to head off comparison and head off performance. It says in the Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. It was about belief, about trust, about acceptance of him. It doesn't say God saved you by his grace when you believed and then did all this stuff. Okay? Now I've got to remind myself, I'm not trying to impress God. Because I've got someone on my side who has already impressed him. So every morning, you can get up and you just remind yourself, God, I thank you that I'm covered by your grace. Thank you that I'm righteous before you. Before I've done anything, your mercies are new every morning for me. Now, my daughter just now, honestly, she's amazing. I love hearing her sing. She's like, frozen, let it go. It's brilliant. And then there's other moments when she can be a little bit of a rascal. We're having those kind of uh, 
debates around what bedtime is and her thinking that actually it's playtime, yay! Now, the thing is with Lexi, even when she's not sleeping, at that point, she's my daughter who isn't sleeping very well, okay? When she's singing, she's my singing daughter. One day, she might be my rich daughter. Great. Maybe she'll be my poor daughter. Maybe there'll be times when she'll be my poorly daughter. There'll be other occasions when she's my misbehaving daughter. Always, though, she's my daughter. And God says exactly the same thing about us. You see, you might think that by coming here to church this morning, suddenly God's really happy with you. There's this big beaming smile on his face. And because of that, but the reality is that if you walked out of here and never set foot in a church again, his love for you wouldn't change a bit. It wouldn't. That's not to say that being in church isn't a good thing. It's not. Actually, God wants you to be part of community and thriving, connected to another family who's on mission together. But it's the same with actually Bible reading or anything else. If you never picked up a Bible again, never read it again, actually, his love for you would not change. That's not to say that looking at the Bible isn't a good thing, to stir your affection for God. He loves you, period. Now, what God does reveals who he is. And this message is a scandal. It's, it, honestly, if, if, you, if there isn't something inside of you that says, hold on, that doesn't make sense, surely you've got to earn this, earn that, do something, then I haven't preached the gospel well. In fact, Martin Lloyd-Jones says to preachers, if listeners don't consider the gospel a scandal, you haven't preached it yet. See, what should our response be? Jesus, with this lady, caught in adultery, responds like this, does no one condemn you? Neither do I. Go now and sin no more. When we've seen him, you see, there's a desire for it to change. When I've seen how beautiful and how wonderful his forgiveness is, I want to follow him and I want to be like him. There's something intrinsically that says, actually, I want to now put him first. I've gone from death to life and I want to be free. And for us, there's decisions to make. Who are we going to trust? Where are we going to follow? And now, how are we going to live our life in turn? And there are expressions of grace that I just want to share a few with you. Because for me, honestly, right now, as a, as a Christian, as a disciple, I don't want anything more than people to see Jesus in me. I want to look like him, smell like him, sound like him. I want to be Jesus on skin to you and everyone else I meet. And the closer I can get, the closer we can get to being the gracious ones, actually the more we'll know what it means to be like him and be with him and to be used by him. Now, just to say in the midst of this, I need your grace, okay? We collectively need more grace for one another. There was an occasion recently when King's Kids did this fun day in the evening, okay? We all went down to the Kids World bouncy play area, kids charging around, getting sweaty. It was brilliant. And uh, I did what I try and do on those kind of occasions by just uh, going and introducing myself to people I didn't know. And so I met one particular lady that evening. And um, I was like, hey, really nice to meet you. My name's Steve. And, uh, you know, uh, have you been coming to King's Arms long? She kind of looked at me and said, yeah, 11 years. (laughs) 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 This is awkward. I was like, I was like, um... Really lovely to meet you now, and I'm very sorry that we've not met before. You know, the truth is, and that's a record for me, by the way, but um, <laughs> there are occasions when I'll introduce myself to people. I know that this is like, that I'll forget people's names, or, or it'll be the third time that I've said, hey, have we met before? I try not to do that, but 
the truth is, in a family like this, we've got to be intentional about engaging with other people. And by the way, Kerry, if you are here, I haven't forgotten you, and I'm very sorry. <laughs> but we need to show grace to one another. We do. And we want to be making sure that we're the sort of people who engage with those people who are outside of us and be different in the world around us. You see, even in the midst of the things that have been going on this week, significant things in the state of our country, how are we going to feel about people? Whether it's the terrorist attacks or whether it's the election or whether it's businesses collapsing, whatever's going on, are we going to be those who demonstrate grace to one another, thinking about their situations and circumstances? You know, Jesus, even as he was dying, being hung on a cross, said of those people who were murdering him, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. He is the perfect example of what God is like. I sat down with an absolute hero of mine earlier last term. There's a guy called Martin, and um, he's got an amazing journey, and he's an absolute pillar in this community. And he now uh, manages our night shelter, part of the King's Arms Project. And he was just uh, saying to me, because you've got to understand that his life didn't always look like it does now. And he came from a background of homelessness and addiction and worked through both the night shelter and then through some other uh, systems in terms of connections with the church. And he's now an absolute star in the terms of how he's giving his life to serve people who are vulnerable. But, you know, he said to me through tears, he said, you know what, Steve, the, the thing that breaks my heart here the most is when there are people who walk in who wouldn't necessarily get the same welcome that I got to be drawn in the same way that I was. And what do we do here as a church to be able to help them? Well, the truth is, in a, place, again, in a place of this size, we need to take responsibility for engaging with every single person, no matter what they are, no matter if they're dragged out, who have literally been caught in some of the worst shameful acts, as it were. Actually, we're going to accept them, receive them, demonstrate grace to them in the same way that Jesus did. I remember on one occasion meeting a guy called George, big guy, gruff, you know, looking tattoos all over and piercings in his face, nervously walking in. I got to meet him through Alpha, and then he got saved. He was baptized. But you know what? I asked him, what was it the, what was the first time like? He said he was terrified. And then he walked in, and God's grace to him was the fact that he saw one of our worship leaders, a lady called Mickey. She was worshiping there, and he said he saw a big tattoo that was down her arm. And he said, this, I've, I've come home. Suddenly he felt accepted. Suddenly he felt like they had God's grace to him in that moment was the fact that he saw that and was able to connect with it. And you know what? That's no statement on tattoos. I don't know whether you have one or you don't, or even your view on them. I'm saying God uses those things. And actually, he can transform lives in the midst of it. Let me share one final story, okay? And again, it's a story of how I believe that grace demonstrates both God's character and the restoration that's possible through it. There's another story by, about a lady in this church. Her name's Claire. And she was given up for adoption when she was just six weeks old. Now Claire, right the way through her life, particularly through teens and 20s, had this feeling of, I really want to know who I am. And I would love to one day kind of reconnect with my birth parents. And so the law at the time, though, was that she wasn't allowed to find out the details of her parents without the expressive consent of her adoptive parents, who actually she felt uncomfortable asking and wasn't able to, able to do. And so it was about... Uh, six or seven years later, when the laws changed, actually. And so she was able to find out, here's my birth certificate, I'm going to try and make contact. And after one or two brief exchanges, her mum said to her, you know what, this is all too painful. Please don't contact me again. I want nothing to do with you. Now, flash forward 20 years. 
And Claire is in a King's Arms meeting like this. And she hears one of our preachers say that, you know, God's got grace for you. And he wants to demonstrate his kindness towards you. And so Claire had a, this kind of upspring, almost a, a, in her heart, faith kind of rise. To, maybe, I, maybe I should try again. She chatted to another member of the church and who suggested maybe get in touch with social services. And she found out in making that intermediary service, making contact, she found out that she had some brothers. And it was last December when she had the first opportunity after writing to meet one of her brothers before on the 24th of February this year, Claire met her mum for the first time in 61 years. She's written out her testimony, which is amazing and in full. But one particular section says, I saw them go past the window on this first occasion when they met. And then it was that moment I'd waited for. We looked at each other, and then I hugged her. I felt tears coming, and it was an emotional moment. We spent three hours together. My mother was brave as she revisited what was very painful memories. I held her hand as she told me. I felt her pain. I tried to empathize with her and reassure her and to love her well. I learned lots about her and her life, her naivety and relationships, and about a third brother that I have. Her mom was 83 years of age. And for me, that's such a brilliant example and illustration of how God's grace moves both through the individual's life who's walking through these things, but also that even for that lady, for that mother, actually that God's grace can extend to her and how Claire got to love her well and demonstrate Jesus to her. Let me tell you guys, there is grace for you today. I don't know what part of this message you will have responded to or connected with. It was performance. It was about shame. Whether your circumstances are such that you need to know God's grace wherever you are at. In a moment, I'm going to invite the band back now if we can. In a moment, we're going to sing a song together. It's a song which has been sung for hundreds of years called Amazing Grace, written by a guy called John Newton. It's sung right away around the world, and it just speaks of this sensational grace that we've been talking about, how the undeserved favor reaches down to us, lifts people up from their circumstances, and shows us who God is. Let me just share one final thing before we do that, and that's this. As I was was putting this preach PowerPoint together today, um, there was a point when I pressed save, and then this image jumped up. It said, PowerPoint is saving grace, dot PPTX. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, the, the ironic thing, and I think it must have been a God thing, is that it started doing that, and then the computer crashed. <laughs> so, so PowerPoint wasn't able to save grace. <laughs> and uh, I kind of looked at it for a moment, I had to restart the computer, but you know what I realized this, is that there are people in this room who will depend on all sorts of things for their righteousness and their connection with God. Sometimes we, we, we say, look, we're going to act in a certain way, and maybe God will like me. I'm going to be connected to a certain amount of people. But let me tell you, no amount of giving to charity, no amount of walking people across the road, no amount of good works and tickets that we collect, none of it will save us. There is one thing and one thing alone. In fact, in Titus 2, it says this, the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. His name is Jesus. You see, and there are people in this room right now. There are people in this room right now 
who want to put their lives and their trust in him. Imagine it's like a chair. You might have all the information you need about that chair, but until you sit on it, it's not going to hold you. And actually, Jesus wants to hold some people today. So I want to ask right the way around the room, would you close your eyes for me? Not even just for your benefit, but for those people who this is one of the most significant moments of their lives, who want to put their trust in the saving work of God's grace through Jesus Christ. And if that's you, if you want to say today is the day that I'm going to wholly trust in his grace, I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your grace. I thank you that your love for me is not based on what I've done, but it's based on your mercy and your finished work on the cross. And today, I choose to accept it and to wholly put my trust in you and to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name.